And let's open our Bibles this morning to begin with to the book of Genesis in chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5, and we're going to just read um, a couple of verses from there. And then we'll pray and then we'll get into the message um, for today. Um, Genesis chapter 5, and verses 1 and 2. We'll read that and we'll pray. This is one of the shortest, shorter accounts of the creation of male and female. It says, this, this is the book of the generations of Adam. That is the family line of the genealogy. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him, male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity we have to look into thy word and think a little bit about some of the history of our country very briefly and then see how that corresponds, if it corresponds, with the teaching of God's word. We know that our founding fathers were very much concerned about founding a nation that was based on biblical principles and we're thankful for that and it grieves our hearts to see our society going so far away from it for the most part. So Lord, just help us as we look in the Word. I pray for the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the message today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I want to read to you something that ought to be very familiar. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but a couple of quotes from uh, the Declaration of Independence. All right? And of course, this is the original title. In Congress, July 4th, 1776, the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitles them. A decent respect of the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. Notice the mention of the laws of nature and nature's God. And they weren't talking about Mother Nature, that people flippantly say that no, they're talking about God's created laws, right? Now this, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and so on and so forth. And then at the very end, it says this, um, and for the support of this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. That was the, and that's the sign. There's underneath, of course, our names. And of course, the name that's the boldest was John Hancock. That's a story itself. I'm not going to get into that. But he wanted to make sure nobody mistook the fact that he was standing with the columns. Anyway, and so... What do people say today? You ever hear somebody say, I need you John Hancock here? So that's become quite a, quite a thing. But anyway, so today I'd like to see, look at the scripture, obviously, and uh, be thankful for what, be thankful to God for the principles upon which our nation was founded. And we just got these, we've had these actually for a while. I'm not sure what, just how to, what to do with them. But uh, there's a group called the Wall Builders, David Barton, some of you may have heard of him. Years ago, we played these back in the day when you had those big VHS tapes, cassettes, 
Um, but he, this, this man, and others with him, have done a lot of research into the founding of our nation. And one of the, one of the first ones is called America's Godly Heritage. And so these are available if you'd like to take a look at them. And I'm not sure how we might try to incorporate them somehow, some showings of them at some point. But our Godly Heritage, and it's in one of those DVDs or videos at the time that really uh, struck me that David Barton made the claim when he documented it that all the things that are written down that the founding fathers said, and all the recorded sayings, 94% of what they said included either a direct quote from scripture or a reference to a scriptural principle. 94% of what's left of what they said from way back when. So, I think we, we all agree. I mean, we're, we're being told, and I'm really, I'm really fearful or whatever for the young people. They don't, I mean, they don't know. They're being told that we were never a Christian country, we were never founded on Christian principles, and what a difference. Most of us, all the folks here, probably all of us in this room grew up and were raised in public school. I know James had some time in our Christian school. But I remember our history classes in public school telling us about how they came to America for freedom of religion, how this country was based upon Bible principles, and all that. Well, all of a sudden, that's not so anymore. All right? It is so. They've rewritten. So anyway, I wanted to take today's message time to look more closely at that part of that declaration that says this, that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, which include life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Let's get see what we can find in the Word of God. Now, I want to say at the beginning that one of the things I appreciate about the Founding Fathers, they did not say they were giving us rights. They were not saying that the Constitution gave us rights. They're saying that our Creator gave us rights. And that's a huge difference because the liberals and the ungodly in our government now are saying they give us our rights and they take away our rights. No, 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 no. The Founding Fathers never, never believed that. The Founding Fathers never said the Constitution gives these rights. No, this Constitution affirms what God has done already. There's a huge difference. Anyway, I, can't, I, I would love to talk about that more, but we need to get to the Bible. By the way, here's another trap. When they say the Constitution is a living document, watch out, because they're saying it no, no longer means what it did originally. It needs to be brought up to date. It needs to be you know, changed and you know, allow all the... Basically what they're saying, we need, we need to reinterpret it to allow all the sin that people want to do. All right? That's a whole other subject. Our founding fathers did not believe that. They did not believe that we had the right to do whatever we wanted to. All right? I'm going to show you that from some scripture. That in a lot of these scriptures, these men believed in and they held to. But anyway, let's start with our created equal. All right? Let's look at Genesis 5. You've heard of, you probably, I know you've heard Genesis 1 and you've heard Genesis 2 several times. We've referred to these a lot of times in recent messages. But in chapter 5, this is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him, male and female created he them, and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. Now there's kind of a Biblical spiritual play on words because the word translated Adam and the word translated man are identical in Hebrew. All right? 
Adam means man, man means Adam. So, basically, in this, in this context, he called their name Adam. In other words, he called their name mankind, is the idea. And I think, I'm not positive, this is not a doctrinal matter, this scripture is probably where people were for a year, for centuries, when people got married, the wife took the husband's last name. I believe that tradition comes from this scripture. But anyway, be that as it may, God created them, man and woman, male and female. All right, not, you know, two genders, folks, two, only two, not three, not ten, all right? You can't change. You can have a surgery and make, but you're not changing what you are. Right? I refuse to refer to that secretary of whatever. I, I will not call him a her. Dr. Levine is not a her, even though she, he, he thinks that she is. He, he thinks he is, and he's trying to be. He's not a her. All right? He's a he. He's perverted he, but he's still a he. Whatever we are, and I heard recently, too, this is all amazing what's going on today, that somebody in that position somewhere said, children should not be bound by the, the, the gender the doctor assigned. So, did you know that? I didn't know doctors assigned gender. They just said, hey, it's a boy. And obviously, you know what? It's a boy or a girl. Hey, congratulations. You have a baby. Well, I'm not sure what it is yet. She'll decide. He'll decide when he's older. No, it's not. It's either, either a male or a female. All right, so, but our men are created equal. Let's go to Acts 17. I think we, we might have gathered that from what we read in Acts chapter 17. Now, again, I just want, to, I want us to look at what the Scripture says. And there's a lot of things that have been said and are being said um, over the years to justify certain positions. I mean, I've been... Um, there are those who are, whether they would admit it or not, even Christians who have a problem, they're white supremacists, whether they realize it or not, and they will use scripture to justify slavery. And they try to use Noah's son, grandson, and all that, the sin that Ham committed. They say that when Noah pronounced the curse on him, that he pronounced it on all the black races. That is not true. Right? That is not so. It was Ham alone for what he did. There are no scriptures that justify slavery. Right? Now Paul said to, to people that were slaves or servants, you know, if you if you can get out of that, if you may be, if you can be free, use it, take advantage of it. Right? So let's look at Acts chapter 17. Now the Bible says this. Um, let's pick it up in verse 24. And we're looking at the equality of man. Or is there a difference? Is any any particular? I, hate, I don't want to use race. I'll say nationality because according to the Bible, there are not races. There's one race. There's a human race made up of different nationalities. That's a, that's a, that's all different. That's totally different than what's being promoted today. Um, that, anyway, God that made the world, verse twenty-four. You know the you know the context here. Paul's on Mars Hill. They have all these idols, all these gods. He even found one to the unknown God, you know, the one that we know is there. He's out there somewhere, but we can't know him. Paul said, this is the one I'm going to talk to you about. God that made the world, and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. Okay, all things is the idea of blessing, and the fact that we can enjoy the things of this earth. Pursuit of happiness. We'll get to that later. And hath made of one blood. 
all nations of men, notice that, all nations of men, for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and have determined the times before appointed, and the bounds of their habitation. So, um, notice it says there, one blood. Now that's an interesting word. The Greek word translated here, blood, is the idea of physical life. Representing the body, the, you know, the blood, everything about our physical life. The Bible says God made everybody the same. Right? There's one human life. There's one physical life. Right? And understand there's different blood types. It's not, it's not really, it's not really, it's not limiting it to blood here. But it's like flesh and blood, physical life. And God says everybody's the same. Everyone is created equal. Right? Um, I, re- I can remember a lot growing up in things that when they started doing blood transfusions, some of you might remember this, uh, they would never give a black person's blood to a white person or, a, you know, and we people, even today, people say, I've got Irish blood in me, I've got this kind of blood. Well, we know what that means, but it's really genetic, it's not blood. But anyway, um, anyway, I won't, I'll get myself in trouble. I'm, not, I'm no scientist, I'm not a geneticist or anything. But anyway, understand, the Bible says that there are no superior people. Now, let's take a look at another one, a couple other verses in, in the book of Romans. Um, interesting. Now, these have to do with sin and salvation. But I find it interesting what the Lord uses here to describe people, right? Romans chapter 3. And you know what's been going on? Um, you know, these, these movements, the Black Lives Matter, all that sort of thing. And in reality, all lives matter equally, all right, to God. I heard that, I saw something the other day where one of these Black Lives Matters group, they burned, they desecrated a monument to the 54th Regiment in Massachusetts. You know what that was? It was a regiment of black soldiers during the Civil War. So they trashed their own monument. Well, they're not trying to... Folks, they want to destroy everything that's symbolic of America. They want to turn us over, they want to make us communists. That's their goal. The leaders, at least one of the main leaders of Black Lives Matter is a trained Marxist. That's what they're trying to do. So they don't, they don't care about equality. They're, they're, they, they care about themselves. Kind of like Hitler with the superior race. I mean, this is all wrong. It's all wickedness. Anyway, let's go. Let's see what, what's the Bible say about, first of all, Romans 3. Why don't you notice this? Verse 20, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there, no, there shall no flesh be justified in sight, for by the law is a knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law, in other words, apart from the law, is manifest in being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of, Jesus, of God, which is by faith of Jesus, Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, kind of in a backhanded way, or whatever you call it, backwards way, the fact that we're all equally sinners means we're equal. We are. We are. All right, let's go to Romans 10. I think this, is, this Romans 10 makes it even clearer. Romans chapter 10. Great passage on salvation. But it's one of the points, you know, one of the... And understand, in the New Testament day, um, Jewish believers had a hard time accepting the fact that their Gentile uh, Christians were equal. I mean, Peter, I mean, you can read in Acts where Peter had a problem with that, you know, until God convinced them, all right? 
And, and so, in, in Romans 10, here it is, verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised it from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth in righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, or the, in other words, the Gentile. There is no difference. Um, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, no, nobody here this morning has, has ever said this, at least out loud, but we had a guy one time claimed to be a Christian. He was upset that I had Pastor Jesse from Liberia preach in his pulpit. So I can't believe you'd have a, and he said the N word, preach in his church. See, so there's prejudice. There's prejudice. And I, I'm, I, mean, I think we admit there are certain types of people that we're, we're naturally afraid of. Okay? But remember, God says we're all the same. There's no difference. All right? There's no difference. So that's so. All men are created equal. There's, a, there's other scriptures that we could include, but I think that gives us a pretty good foundation. Now here, how about the second one, where it says unalienable rights. Now, that word unal unalienable means they can't be removed. Can't be, you know, they're just permanent. They're, they're eternal or you know, permanent. So I looked up the dictionary. What does what the dictionary say that a right is? I found a neat, now I looked at a dictionary that was written about 1960, because even the dictionary, sometimes the dictionaries are a little different today too. But it says this, a right is that which a person has that which a person has a just claim to, power, privilege, etc., by law, nature, or position. Okay? Now, the founding father said it was the laws of nature, and nature's God that gives us these things. Right? So, interesting. I took I took the concordance, and um, which I really like, and, and Bruce, I'm the same. I my, I like books. I, I I don't I can I don't even know the last time I went online for anything a message. Sometimes I do. But books, I like books. I like opening books and going through them. But anyway, I looked up the word rights. R-I-G-H-T-S in the concordance. Guess how many verses in the Bible use the word rights? It's none. Zip. Doesn't fit. Doesn't, isn't found. Now the word right is found a lot. Interesting, most often the word right in the Bible is like right hand or right arm. It's used as a direction, okay? Now, the second most times it's used is of that which is right in the sight of God, that which is pleasing in his sight. However, I did find some times where the word is used in a comparable way to how our founding fathers used it, all right? Let's, I have, let's see, how many do I have? I've got four of these written down, so, um, anyway, so the first one, is found in Psalm 4. Again, this is not the only ones, but this will give you a good sampling of what the Bible says about what we have a right to. Okay? Psalm 9. Um, and by the way, I think you know, if, if, when, you, when you think about the history of Israel, you know, God provided for them to live in liberty. We'll talk a bit, I'm getting a little ahead, but God gave them some privileges, all right? So in Psalm 9, a Psalm of David, notice, For thou hast maintained 
my right and my cause. Thou saddest in the throne, judging right. Now David attributes to God that, that he is the one who will maintain David's right. And again, the word translated here right means justice, verdict, but it also means a right or a privilege. And you know, no, no doubt David was referring to his kingdom, his whole life, and, and as a man of God, and all those kinds of things. Right? Now the second I want us to look at is found in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 32. Again, very interesting. We, we've been talking, we've talked a lot in our messages on God and government. Babylon came up a lot. There's a lot of relevant things there. And so Jeremiah, in chapter number 32, um, this the Lord, let's go to verse 6 so you see what we're heading here. Uh, and, Jer- and Jeremiah said, 32 says, The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Behold, Hanamiel, the son of Shalom, thy uncle, shall come unto thee, saying, Buy thy field that is in Anathoth, for the right of redemption is thine to buy it. Verse 8, so Hannah, Hannamiel, my, my uncle's son, uh, came to me in the court of the prison, according to the word of the Lord, and said unto me, By my field I pray thee, that is an Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right of inheritance is thine, and the redemption is thine. Buy it for thyself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. Now, there's a, there's the main idea there is that God directed Jeremiah, Jeremiah's uncle and cousin, to do this because God would say, this is my way of telling you that even though you're carried away, you know, Babylon's going to conquer the country, yet there's going to be houses built, there's going to be land, you're going to inhabit, you'll be back in Israel someday, and these things will be binding. You'll still have the rights and the privileges that you once had, even though Babylon has kind of taken them away for a time. Now, the right of redemption, the right of inheritance, had to do with land. Most of you may, may know about the principle of the kinsman redeemer. If somebody lost a you know, lost property, they had to sell it or something happened because of poverty or because of the death of the father, something like that, a relative, and it always started with the closest relative, had what was known here as the right of redemption. Now, more than they had more than just a right, they had a responsibility to take over. I, mean, I think you know that. And the same about the inheritance. And, and God set up who the inheritors would be. But, but notice here, the word of God refers to them as rights. They, were, they had the power, they had the privilege to do those things. All right, let's go to the, a couple in the New Testament. John chapter 1. Now, every one of these are things that God gave them. I'm emphasizing that because it's the same thing our founding fathers recognized. Any rights that we have come from God, right? Not from man. John chapter 1, notice verse 10, 10 through 12. He was in the world, speaking of the Lord, the Word, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Tragic. One of the saddest verses in the Bible. I think about the billions of people in the world and how few even acknowledge that there's a God who made them. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now, here's the word. There's a couple, there's two main words in the New Testament translated power. 
One is the word for might, dunamis, the one that speaks of might or strength or ability. Then there's one that means authority or right. This is the case here. So we could literally, we could say, to as many as received him, to them gave he the authority or the right to become the sons of God. Of course, even to them that believe on his name, obviously there's a condition there, right? There's a qualification. You have to be, you have to receive Christ in order to become a child of God. But when you do that, that gives you the right, gives you the authority, right? All right, one more, Revelation. In the book of Revelation, chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22. Okay, Revelation 22, verse 14. The Bible says, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life. And may enter in through the gates into the city. Well, that's the same condition that is mentioned in John 1. And John 1 is talking about the authority or the right to become to be called the sons of God through salvation. Same thing here. Those who are saved will have the right to the tree of life. They'll have power, authority to eat the tree of life and enter in through the gates into the city. Someone made a comparison about um, what some of the people, like President Trump, wanted a wall on the southern border to keep out, you know, make it harder for your illegals to come in. And of course, oh, that's awful, it needs to be open. And somebody said, you know, that's like the difference between heaven and hell. Heaven has gates, heaven has a boundary, a border, has a wall. Hell is open for anybody. But so is heaven if you, if you trust in Christ as Savior. So yes, the Bible does say that, that people can have rights, but they come from God, and there are, and there are conditions. Right? All right, let's take a look at life. Again, we'll go to Acts 17. We already looked at it once, but let's talk about uh, life. Yeah, and this would be, obviously, God has given us life. He's our creator. He's given us that life. And uh, while you're turning to Acts 17, as you get there, I remind you, Genesis 2, 7, and the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. We talked about that in the past today, we start out, that that word for breath is actually the Hebrew word for soul, spiritual. So it's not so much air, but it's actually life itself. That's what, because that when he made Adam out of the dirt, and, uh, you know, so there was just a body there, no life until God breathed into it, into him. Breath of life. Okay, so, Acts 17. Notice it says again, um, verse 24, well, verse 25, Neither is worship with men's hands, talk about God, as though he needed, any, needed anything, seeing giveth to all life. Simple. Simple statement. God gives us life. And breath. And all things. Alright, and verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our being. So our life, our human life, is attributable to God. He gave it. Well, you know, he uses the process, obviously, he uses the physical process. God told Adam and Eve, multiply. Replenish the earth, but it's ultimately it's God who 
Cottonate allows that to happen and gives it, you know, make it come, makes it come to fruition. Those sort of things. All right. Now, and we're let's go to John chapter five real quickly because not only does physical life come from God. Now, again, I want to put have things mostly from a biblical perspective. So physical life is not all there is to life. John chapter 5, verse 24. John 5, 24, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. What's he talking about there? He's talking about those who are spiritually dead will hear the voice of God, and they that hear shall live. Spiritual death, spiritual life. He's not talking about, you know, saving a bunch of people who are, who are dead and buried. He's not talking about uh, resurrection. He talks about resurrection later. Right? How do we know he's not talking about resurrection? Because it says the hour is coming, and now is. Right? Now we have verse 29. Mark 8. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, in which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. That's talking about, and shall come forth resurrection. See, that's resurrection scripture there, 25 is not resurrection scripture, it's spiritual life scripture, life now for those who will hear the voice of the Son of God. Alright? Um, Romans 6.23 Don't even turn there. We're going to say, if you don't know this verse, shame on you. Alright? Romans 6.23 Together, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Alright? If you don't know, I don't mean shame on you, really. I mean, you know, you, you're not counting that because you're a family visitor, but the rest of you should know it, right? You should know it too. Anyway. But anyway. Uh, so what kind of death? It's not talking about physical death there primarily, it's talking about spiritual death. The gift of God is eternal life, alright? The wage of sin is death. Yes, we we will die. See, that's the point. We will die someday. But that's a consequence. The wages of sin is spiritual death. How do we know that? Because God said to Adam, when he, about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in the day thou eatest, thou shalt surely die. Well, Adam, Eve ate, and Adam ate, and they lived 900 more years. Okay? So it didn't mean physical death, it meant spiritual death. I try to get people to understand that. You know, you're already dead spiritually if you haven't trusted Christ as Savior. That's not going to happen someday. It's already happening. It's happened. You're dead. You know, of course, you can become, you can have life by trusting in Christ. The gift of God is eternal life through um, Jesus Christ our Lord. All right, let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. And we read just a couple verses here. We're talking about spiritual and eternal life. I love that, what Jesus said, we already looked at it, in John chapter 5, that when we are saved, we, we have eternal life. Our eternal life begins the moment we're saved. And then it just carries on when we get to heaven. We've already been passed from death to life, of course, because we have spiritual life. Now in Ephesians um, chapter 2, 
I just want to, we're just going to read one verse. You can, you can read the rest of the chapter. I encourage you to do so. But uh, Ephesians 2 and verse 1, it says, And you have been quickened, which means made alive, who were dead, trespassed and sin. Now, how were we dead? Were we dead physically? No. We were dead spiritually. So he says, God's made us alive spiritually if we're saved. All right? Um, boy, I've got to move. I think we do it. Let's, next one is liberty. Okay. Let's go back to, to Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus chapter 25. And we'll talk just a little bit about liberty. And you, and you'll have to kind of study this out more on your own. But another, another wonderful principle that God gave in the Old Testament was the principle of jubilee. Every 50 years. Um, everybody would get their property back if they lost it. There'd be a freedom, there'd be liberty. And in uh, 20, Leviticus 25, verse 10 says, And you shall hallow the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. It shall be a jubilee unto you, and you shall return every man unto his possession, and you shall return every man unto his family. And so, by the way, Proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. Where is that written besides the Bible? Who knows? Anybody know? It's inscribed somewhere. We were taught, I know you know. In fact, I have a paper, Bruce. I have that. I still have that paper that you uh, did a couple years ago on liberty while we were away. Um, wow. That was, yeah, I remember we taught, we got taught that in history, Pennsylvania history. It's inscribed on the Liberty Bell in Philadelphia. And what was the Liberty Bell? Everybody know what the Liberty Bell was? It was a, it was a gift from France <coughs> congratulating us on our independence, which, by the way, they helped us out with. This all I, I, can, oh, I, would, I would love to be, a, if I had that opportunity, to lecture on history, because a lot of people don't know these things. <coughs> but it's still there. We went to see it one time. But the, the place was under construction, so we couldn't see it, but it's still hanging there. You know, that's what they put on. Why did they do that? Because they believed in the Bible principle of liberty. Liberty. All right. Now, let's go to, I'm going to go, let's go to Galatians chapter 5, because we need to see what biblical liberty is. And, and maybe you'll have to watch some of those DVDs, or maybe we'll do something, watch it together someday. Um, but um, the, the founding fathers... They really had a biblical, biblical view of liberty. And you'll have to go back and look for yourselves. Don't just take my word for it. But I'm going to kind of condense it down a little bit. Our founding father said, liberty and the pursuit of happiness was not the freedom to do whatever I want to do. It says the freedom to do what's right. And the freedom to honor God and worship God. And they, they believe God should be part of all of our life. And in fact, there's so much reference to God in, in the early documents, the Declaration of Penance, the Constitution, the preamble to the Constitution, and so on, state constitutions. Um, South Carolina, for example, when they adopted their state constitution, it, you had to be a professed Christian to run for office in the state of South Carolina. And this is all documented, you can look it up. So, I mean, they understood what liberty really was. What is liberty? Well, let's look at Galatians 5, chapter or verse 1. And here Paul says to the Galatians, who were being, they were being invaded by false doctrine, 
that you have to go back under the Old Testament. You have to go back under the law in order to be saved. And so Paul says this in chapter 5, after going through all, verse after verse about the relationship of law and faith and all those kinds of things, he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Understand, I know you do, that most religions bind people. Right? Biblical Christianity frees people, gives them liberty. By the way, the word liberty, translated here, simply means freedom, liberty, the opposite of enslavement. All right? Now, in Galatians 5, why don't you see that? Now, let's look at Galatians 5 and verse 13. This is a lesson they needed to know. To know. All right. Liberty is freedom from bondage to the law, to commandments, in order to be saved, but liberty is free from something else. Verse 13, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. See, there is a, there is a, 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 a thought out, out there among so Christians that I have liberty in Christ, therefore I can do whatever I want. One problem with that, the Bible doesn't say that. It says, in fact, it says the opposite. Liberty in Christ is not freedom to sin or to indulge sin in sin, but it's freedom from sin and freedom uh, to live for the Lord, to live for Christ and for one another. Um, if that were not the case, if the founding fathers did not have that concept of liberty, they wouldn't have had the laws and things that they, that they adapt, adopt, adapted, adopted into our law system of law. Because everything isn't all right. Our founding fathers didn't believe everything was all right. And, and I'm sure that if they, they would be shocked if they were here today to see what people have done in this country in the name of liberty and freedom. All right? It doesn't mean that a guy is free to marry another guy. That's not the liberty they're talking about. It doesn't mean that you're free to kill your unborn child. That, that's not what they're talking about. You're not free to get drunk and, and you're not free to do drugs and you're not free to steal and all those kinds of things. I wrote a, this so supposedly a state representative, I can't remember where it was, Texas maybe, has proposed a law that homeowners not be allowed to use force against intruders. You've got to read what, she's, what her thoughts were. Well, they need it more than you do. Obviously, they wouldn't break in. And a thief only has a gun to protect himself from violent homeowners. Are you serious? This is somebody in America? And by the way, it's a good way to redistribute the wealth. But what an insane person. But that's what they're, that's what they're, liberty, 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 you know. Um, anyway, they've come to the point where they're emphasizing the so-called liberty of criminals and the rights of criminals over the rights of law-abiding citizens. Our founding fathers never intended that in liberty. We got one more, right? By the way, Jesus said you should know the truth, the truth shall make you free. John chapter 8. All right. The pursuit of happiness. First Kings chapter two. Thanks for, for your picking this again. I'm going to try to get through this. Uh, First Kings chapter ten. The Old Testament word translated happy, and the New Testament word translated happy. Really, they mean the same thing. They mean fortunate, blessed, 
enjoying favorable circumstances, often resulting from the kind acts of God. And in the New Testament, the only difference is it means blessed or fortunate, but it also means the feelings or emotions associated with receiving God's favor. So let's see what 1 Kings chapter 10, this is kind of a, maybe a different, obscure way of looking at this, but it's, it's a word, the word is used here quite a bit. This has to do with the Queen of Sheba, when she came to visit King Solomon. Right? Um, and so, oh, my page is stuck here, that's hard to look right. So anyway, she came there, the Bible says 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 1, and when the Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning his greatness and wealth, no, concerning the name of the Lord. All right? So she came to prove him with hard questions. And so she did. She came. In verse 3, Solomon told her, as he answered all her questions, there was not anything hid from the king, which he told her not. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all of Solomon's wisdom and the house he built, and the meat of his table, and the city of his servants, and the attendants of his ministers, and their apparel, and his cupbearers, and his ascent by which he went up into the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. And she said to the king, It was a true report that I heard in mine own land of thy acts and of thy wisdom. Howbeit I believed not the words till I came, and mine eyes had seen it, and behold, the half was not told me. Thy wisdom and prosperity exceedeth the fame which I heard. Happy are thy men, happy are these thy servants, which stand continually before thee, and that hear thy wisdom. Blessed be the Lord thy God, which delighted in thee to set thee on the throne of Israel, because the Lord loved Israel forever. Therefore made he thee king to do judgment and justice. Now at that particular point in his life, biblically Solomon was a happy man. And I go over a couple more chapters, the next chapter... And his happiness did last because he got him to do a bunch of things God said not to do. No longer happy man, right? But he was blessed. The idea there is blessed. Um, all right, two, let's see, what am I going to look at here? Let's go to Psalm 144. All right, Psalm 144, in verse 15. Psalm 144, in verse 15. Um, there's another scripture that uses the word happy. Psalm 144.15 says, Happy is that people that is in such a case. Yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. Right? So they, our founding fathers use that term happiness in a spiritual way. Proverbs 16.20. I'll read that. I hope you can get there. Proverbs 16.20. He that handleth the matters wisely shall find good, and whoso trusteth in the Lord... Happy is he. Right? John 13, 2 in the New Testament. Right? And that's, I believe that's all the scripture. Okay, one more, one more. I have to um, John chapter 13. I'm just going to read where Jesus gave some instruction. He gave an example to his disciples. He's been teaching them a lot of things. In chapter John 13, 17. Jesus said, if you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. Simple. If you know what God says, we're happy when we do it. Alright, All right, then I've got another one on this subject of happiness, and then we'll look at one other one, and then we're done. First uh, Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4. Um, 
really not too many people today who consider this happiness, but let's just see what the Bible says. First Peter 4, 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you be reproached, for the name of Christ, happy are ye. There's that word, happy, same thing. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. And so happiness comes from obeying God, glorifying God. Years and years ago we were taught this song. I wanted, I wanted to get copies of it, but I didn't. Um, this happiness is the Lord. Remember that song? Happiness is the Lord. Alright? Alright. Colossians chapter 3. That's our last scripture for today. Um, while we're finding our place in Colossians chapter number 3, um, just a couple of thoughts as we do everything to close. Alright? Um, number one, don't forget to pray for those in authority, as we are instructed to do in 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 to 3. In fact, that's, that's our main thing in life of the things are going. Pray. Pray, 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 and pray some more. Right? Um, secondly, be law-abiding citizens as we are instructed in passages such as Romans 13, Titus 3, 1 Peter chapter 2. Right? We need to be law-abiding and honest and good and upright people living in this world. And then, here in Colossians 3, verse 1, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things that are above for Christ set up on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. So our, our focus of life and our affection should be not on things down here, but on things above. Let's never forget that. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time that we can have in my word. And thank you for the truth of the scriptures and what you have told us about our life. And thank you, Lord, for what we've been able to look at today. Pray that it has been an encouragement, a challenge, and a help uh, to everybody here today and that we would continue, Lord, to walk even more so in the light of thy word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I'm going to stay up here, but let's take our hymn books. I'd like us to sing one verse of number 385. And then we will... We went to our observance of the Lord's table. Hymn number 385. Um, Take the world by giving Jesus. And while I mention that, you know, if the message today has brought up questions, um, and you have other you'd like to, you know, things you'd like to ask me about, I'd be glad to uh, take time and set time to deal with some of those things. And uh, let's say, let's stick to the number 385. Um, you may remain seated because we're going to go into our Lord's table here in a moment. Verse number one, take the world. Take the world, but give me Jesus, all its joys are but a name. Oh, the fullness of redemption.
receive of the Lord, that which also I deliver unto you, that this, the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take ye, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. Remember, it's remembering him. After the same manner also he took the cup, when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. The word show there means to portray or declare. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. For let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, or does that mean judgment or condemnation, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, carry one for another. If any man hunger, let him leave home, that you come not together in condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come. Obviously, Paul's talking about himself coming there to set things in order. There's a lot of things that needed to be set right. One of them was their, the way that they had just perverted the Lord's table. So he mentions unworthily. This one, from time to time, remind us there's two things that would make a person unworthy to, to partake of the Lord's table. Number one, if a person is not saved. All right? In fact, that's what it really is getting at when it says that they eat, if, they, if they eat and drink and are not saved, they're drinking damnation, not discerning the Lord's body. Remember, they don't understand symbolism. They don't understand that it's not the bread and the juice that saved, it's Jesus Christ. So they don't get the symbolism, nor they understand what Jesus did in his body. And the second would be a believer who has unconfessed sin in his or her life. Right? So that's why Paul says, examine, let a man examine himself. And so we're going to do that. We're going to take a few moments for silent prayer and examine, self-examination if the Lord brings sins to your mind and this is, you know, this is an important time. And I think we need to understand that because Paul wrote to the Corinthians that many of them had become sick, weak, sick, physically, and had some had even, many had even died because of their misuse of the Lord's table. So it is important to remind, to remind ourselves and remember. All right, so let's go to a time of prayer and then we'll, we'll continue on. Still, God in prayer, Brother Bruce, would you please lead us and ask God's blessing on you, the observance of His table? Great God, our Father, we thank you for the many blessings today. Above all, Father, we we thank you that you saw our need of salvation, Amen. our hopeless condition. Rather than leave us that way, you acted on our behalf. 
devised a plan of salvation before anything was ever created. Lord, we thank you that Jesus was willing to come to suffer that shame and reproach, to give his life to pay the penalty for our sins. We ask your blessing on us now as we partake of these elements. Help us, Father, to remember what he did on our behalf, not just today, but always. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Regarding the bread, the Bible says that the Lord the night, the same night which he betrayed, took bread. And when he had um, given thanks, he prayed and said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. And there's a face basket behind the stand where you got your bread and juice and just put the cups in there on the way out. Um, also, the deacons of our place back there <coughs> next to Bruce, so if you can leave something there, yeah, we'd appreciate it. All right, we're going to stand one more thing. Let's turn to the Turn, please, to number 118. And we'll close the service by singing the hymn, When I Supernate, Wondrous Cross. Really, that's what the Lord's table is to remind us of, that the Lord Jesus Christ suffered there particularly on the cross. He was, his body was broken other, with the beatings of things, but primarily on the cross is when he was broken for our sins, right? When I surveyed Oh, me.
very much, and you are dismissed.